Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. Well, Merry Christmas, South Valley. It's great to see all of you this evening. Can you guys help me thank the worship team for leading us today? We appreciate you guys so much. You guys sounded great. And Blake Aubrey, so that was my, my son and my daughter up here. And Blake Aubrey, thank you for introducing the candle. That was perfect. You nailed it, sister. You nailed it. Um, Today is week three, the final installment of a sermon series we've been going through titled God With Us. It's an Advent sermon series, and the word Advent simply means coming or arrival. Each year around this time of the year, Christians from around the globe, they prepare their hearts for Christmas by celebrating something called Advent. Advent's a time where we focus on the hope and the joy and the love and the peace that Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, came to secure for us. And as we unpack this Christmas story today, as we continue and wrap it up, I wanted to challenge us this evening to look at it again with fresh eyes. Have you guys ever grown so familiar with something that you've just kind of taken it for granted over the years? I've noticed this a lot as a daddy. There are a lot of things that I have experienced for many years now that are new to my kids that at one time they were wonderful to me and then now I kind of just kind of glossed over them and my kids have given me a new passion for things. The holiday season is one of those times where I get a new passion. I love going and looking at Christmas lights with the kids. I love eating lots of cookies. Amen to that. Lots of cookies. Anybody? I love, yes, I see, yeah, you guys get excited about cookies and donuts around here. I love that about this church. Um, And I love watching Elf on repeat during the holidays. Those are some of the things, and maybe some of you guys watch that, I don't know. But those are some of the things my kids, that's the simple things, the tiny things, the little things that mean the most to my kids during this time. Family traditions, like the ones we've heard shared today and throughout the other services in the past weeks, family traditions are important because they bond us together and, and they, they help us guard this time of year, this Christmas season. They help us to not take it for granted. Well, that's exactly what Advent does. Advent bonds us together and keeps us focused on the true reason for the Christmas season, and his name is Jesus Christ. Now, although the Christmas story is the most epic an exciting story of all time. It's still sometimes missed. And sometimes it's missed because it's so familiar. We've heard it told over and over again, and so we've just kind of glossed over it over the years. Other times it's missed because the story that we've heard has been so commercialized, fo- so photoshopped and lacquered over that we, we have kind of a commercialized version of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. Well, today, what I want us to do is look at this story with fresh eyes and be reminded that Christmas, yes, the first Christmas was very, very beautiful, but it was also very messy. Because God's way of saving the world shattered everyone's idea of how God worked. You see, in every religion around the globe up to this point, everyone believed that God was somebody that you had to ascend to get to. You had to climb up a ladder of spirituality in order to be loved by God, in order to have hope or peace from God. You had to do more, work harder, be better, and then God would love you. The Christmas story says this. 
We can't descend to God. So God descended to us. God came down to meet with us. Today's sermon is titled, Love Came Down. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn now. Matthew 1.18, that's our passage today. I'm going to pray and we'll jump in. Father God, I thank you so much for the people in this room. I thank you for the fact that we've been able to celebrate your son Jesus these past three weeks. And this, this, this week, as we get closer and closer to Christmas, I pray that we'd have great times with our friends, great times with our family members. We'd remember those that we love, and, and, but also that we'd remember, first and foremost, you, Jesus, the hope and the joy that you came to secure for us. And if anybody needs that hope, that joy, that forgiveness this evening, I pray that they would find it in you. I pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. So we're going to look at the, gospel, or the, the birth narrative from Matthew. Matthew tells the story in three phases. Phase number one is the problem. Phase number two is the plan. Phase number three is the purpose. So let's start with the problem. Matthew says this. He says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So what was the problem? The problem was that a young teenage girl named Mary was pregnant. Matthew's birth narrative is written from the perspective of Joseph. Luke's birth narrative is written from the perspective of Mary. What do we know about this couple, Mary and Joseph? Well, we know they were a young couple. We also know that they were from a tiny little town called Nazareth. Nazareth was a small rural agricultural settlement of maybe a couple hundred people, likely dozens of people. It's so unknown in those days that the gospel writers had to describe where Nazareth was. Nazareth is one of those towns you drive through on your way to somewhere special. Okay? You drive through these towns, you stop for gas and talkies, and then you take off. Okay? That's, that's Nazareth. Nothing happened in Nazareth. No one in the New Testament believed any good could come out of Nazareth. It was so insignificant that it wasn't mentioned in a single ancient text up to this point. But when God looked for the right couple to raise his son, he chose a young couple from a small agricultural town. And so if you've ever wondered if God sees people in small agricultural towns, then here's your answer. Amen. Amen. There we go. Last I checked, Lemoore qualifies as a small agricultural town. It's the first place I've ever lived in that has more cows than people. <laughs> My mission for Lemoore is that we'd have more Christians than cows. Okay, that's the mission. That's the mission of South Valley. Well, Jesus sees people from small towns. The fact that God chose Mary and Joseph reminds us that small town does not mean small person. Small town does not mean small person. Doesn't matter where you come from. Doesn't matter how known you are. It doesn't matter what your net worth might be. God sees you. You're an image bearer of God. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He put you on this planet for a reason. 
He sees you. He knows you. He knows your parents. He knows your grandparents. He knows your kids. He knows your grandkids. He knows the generations that will come after you. God sees you. God loves you. God knows you. Your history matters. Your family tree matters. Your culture matters because you matter because God made you. Well, Joseph was tempted to believe that he's a small town guy and God had forgotten about him. He's tempted to believe that God had maybe turned his back on him. He's about to start this new life with his beautiful fiance when all of a sudden he discovered that she was pregnant and he knew that he was not the father. So how does Joseph resolve this problem? Matthew 119, Joseph being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to, to divorce her quietly. Now, this sounds confusing because earlier I mentioned that they were engaged when actually the technical word for the relationship is betrothed. Betrothal is something that we Westerners aren't used to. We're not accustomed to it. Okay, back in these days, there was no such thing as dating. There was no Facebook or Instagram where you might meet somebody, no Christian mingle, no eHarmony, no Tinder, none of that stuff. None of those apps existed, okay? The only matchmaker that existed in these days was mom and dad. How frightening is that? (laughs) Mom and dad would pair you up with your spouse. And so that's what's happening in this story. They were betrothed. They, They weren't married yet, but they were already obligated to one another. They were in a contract with one another. The only way out of that contract was through divorce. And so Joseph is wondering, why is my fiance pregnant? I need to get out of this thing. Joseph thought that his fiance was unfaithful, but he did not want to disgrace Mary. Now, unfaithfulness in this society It wasn't just a thing that people gossiped about. Unfaithfulness in this society was actually a crime. Joseph could have had Mary punished for unfaithfulness. But we read that Joseph was a just man. The Bible doesn't say a lot about Joseph. Joseph doesn't speak in the Bible. But you know what we do learn about Joseph in the Bible? Is although he doesn't say a lot, he does a lot. He's a man who he backs up his faith, his words, his lifestyle, not with his, not with what he says, but with how he lives, which leads to the second phase of the birth narrative, and that's the plan. It says, as Joseph considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll bear a son, and you'll call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. What's interesting about this story is that it wasn't until this moment that Joseph realized Mary was having a special child. Three months earlier, according to Luke, three months earlier, Gabriel announced to Mary that she was pregnant and that she was going to bear Jesus, that Jesus would be be born through her, the son of David. The only person Mary shared this news with, though, was her cousin Elizabeth, who we talked about last week. 
And the only reason that Joseph discovered that Mary was pregnant was because she was about 12 to 14 weeks along at this point in the story and was beginning to show. That's how he discovered. And so here's where we have to sand down some of the lacquer on the Christmas story. You see, when we think of Mary today, we often think of the Holy Virgin Mary. We think of the, the, the woman who was revered and respected around the globe. But the Mary in this story is not just a regular teenage girl. She was probably only 14 to 16 years old, which was common for marriage, but she, 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 she is a regular teenage girl. Sorry, I just saw the, the TV went out. Okay, we're back on. Mary is a regular teenage girl. Okay, getting the sand, sander out and getting rid of the, the lacquer. Furthermore, Mary was not immaculate meaning she wasn't perfect, she wasn't divine, she also wasn't a perpetual virgin, mean, meaning she, she did eventually get married to Joseph later on in the story, went on to have children together with Joseph. Jesus, Jesus had brothers and sisters. And so what I want you to see in this story, at the, in this phase of the story, Mary was just a regular young woman who loved the Lord. She was not a giver of grace, she was a receiver of grace. We don't worship Mary we worship Jesus. And this is really important because helping us understand that Mary was a normal young woman, about 14 to 16 years old, which was common in these days to get married at that age, helps us see why she would have been afraid to tell Joseph that she was pregnant. So Gabriel delivered the news instead. And he said to, to Joseph, Joseph, son of David, don't fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. The angel Gabriel announced the virgin birth. Now, this would have seemed like, an, like a, a mind-blowing thing. The fact that Mary, who was a virgin, was going to conceive a child, she, she wasn't able to make sense of it in the moment, and neither was Joseph able to make sense of it in the moment. This is a totally unusual birth. Now, as I did some research on this passage, I went on kind of a rabbit trail with some other unusual births in society, and I want to share a couple with you. One is I learned that the biggest baby, the largest baby ever born, was born at 22 pounds. Did you know that? That's, a, that's, a, that's not a baby, that's a toddler, right? The smallest baby ever born was born at one pound, and he was born at 18 weeks, uh, and he survived. The, the most children ever born to one woman at one time was eight kids, octomoms, six boys, two girls. There have been some unusual births in society. There have also been some unusual births in Scripture. Abraham and Sarah gave birth to, to Isaac around 100 years old. Hannah gave birth to Samuel after praying in the temple. And last week, we learned that Zechariah and Elizabeth gave birth to John the Baptist when they were well past childbearing years. All of these episodes are unusual, but they are not totally unique because in each episode, a human father was involved in the process. Jesus' birth is different because Jesus' father was God. Jesus' father was God. The virgin birth is significant because it ensured a holy child. Jesus is, is fully man, a child of Mary, but also fully God, conceived by the Holy Spirit. He perfectly represents mankind as our representative, 
doing what Adam could not do in our place. Adam, when he was presented with temptation, what did he do? He ate of the tree, he fell, and ever since then, sin has tainted our world. Well, Jesus was a perfect Adam, but Jesus also didn't just represent mankind, he also represented God. He was the perfect Adam. Adam, he was the perfect sacrifice. He was the perfect priest. He's fully God. He's fully man. Jesus, the virgin birth, is theologically mind-blowing, and it's something that will never, ever happen again. The God of heaven humbled himself, entered a single cell in the womb of a young virgin, took on flesh, and dwelt among us. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. At this point, though, we should be asking why. Why would God come to us? Shouldn't we be making our way to God? If we're the creatures and he's the creator, then it seems like it should be our job to do whatever we can to be noticed by God, to be loved by God, to be respected by God, to be accepted by God. It seems like the the onus should be on us. But the Christmas story says that we can't climb up the ladder to God. The Christmas story says it doesn't matter what we do, how hard we try, how perfect we may be, we cannot make our way to a holy, just, perfect, righteous God. But the good news is this. God loves you. Even in your sin, even in your mistakes, even in your rebellion, God loves you. He loves you so much that he came to you. He came to me. He came down so that we might know his love. And, 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 and it actually kind of makes sense the more you think about it. Any grandparents here in the room tonight? We love grandparents. My kids love their grandparents. Uh, one thing that I've noticed with my mom when she's playing with the kids, you know what she does when she's playing with my daughter and my son? She gets down on her knees like this. And she pulls out toys and she looks them in the eyes And she plays with our kids down in their world. You see, as adults, we live up here. But for kids, their whole life is down here. Grandparents, parents get down on the floor with their kids because they love their kids and they want to enter into their kids' world and see through their eyes and come to them on their level. That's what God did for us. God stooped. Grandparents, loving grandparents, they stoop down to be with their grandchildren. That's what my mom does. It's it's so awe-inspiring. God stooped for us. God came down. The eternal Son of God came to our level. He wasn't born into wealth. He wasn't born into power. He didn't live in an influential city like Jerusalem. His first bed was a feeding trough surrounded by animals. He stooped. And he did it. Because of love. If you've ever wondered if God's forgotten about you, the Christmas story should scream in your face in a joyful way every year, I love you. God stooped. We heard the problem. We heard the plan. Finally, what was the purpose? When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Do you know what the name Jesus means? 
The name Jesus means the Lord saves. It's a famous Old Testament name, a Hebrew name, the name Yeshua. Yeshua means Yahweh saves. Jesus came, Jesus stooped, the eternal Son of God entered into our world, came and was born in a manger to a poor family in a poor town among animals. He did all of this in order to save the world from their sins. The world needed a Savior. And, and, and when the world is thinking about the kind of Savior they need, I don't think that the world was thinking that Jesus was the kind of Savior that they were looking for, okay? They were probably looking for somebody to, you know, get me out of debt, to fix my marriage, to, you know, help me get my kids in line, to deal with this uh, ailment in my body. Okay, there's all these different functional Saviors that we're looking for. But here's the thing. Jesus came to fix our greatest need. Jesus came to fix our greatest need because all of the peripheral things, all of the issues in the world, they all boil down to one thing, sin, the sin problem. Every problem that we face stems from one main issue, the issue of sin, and every other problem in the world is just a symptom. And so Jesus, the Christmas story, teaches that our greatest need, your greatest need, my greatest need as human beings is forgiveness. Jesus came to forgive sin. And when sin can be forgiven, once sin is forgiven, all these other things start to fall into place. Do you know that your greatest need today is forgiveness? Forgiveness from the Lord. And once you have forgiveness from the Lord, you know what you can begin to do? You could begin to forgive yourself. And you know what else you could begin to do? You could begin to forgive others. Our greatest need as human beings is forgiveness. Jesus, the Son of God, his name means the Lord saves. Jesus came into the world to meet our greatest need of all, our need for forgiveness. And so each Christmas when we celebrate Jesus, we aren't just celebrating a baby in a manger. We're celebrating a baby who grew up to be the savior of the world, to save the world from their sins, to meet our greatest need of all. And when he deals with sin, everything else falls into place. One day you will get a new body. One day you will be in a new heaven and a new earth. One day you will see your loved ones again. You can have joy and hope and in, in, in life, in, in this life, life in the life to come, all because Jesus dealt with our sin problem, our greatest need of all. Jesus came to bring light into the darkness. And so as we close out with a few songs tonight, I want you to be real with yourself. Is there any darkness in you that you haven't turned over to Jesus yet? Any sin problems? Forgiveness problems? Pain? Regret? fear, anxiety, depression? What are those dark things in your soul that you need the light of Jesus to shine on tonight? When we pass this candle and we see the flame passed around, I want you to see what light can do to the darkness. It expels the darkness. Whatever is dark in your life, this Christmas, today, right here, right now, you can know the love of Jesus. He hasn't forgotten about you. He sees you, he loves you, he cares about you, and he showed, he demonstrated his love for you by entering into your world, by being born in a manger to bring you life and life eternal.
And so we're going to pass now the, the flame. Thank you, John. And as this goes around the room, I want to encourage you to reflect on your own life, your own desire for joy and hope and love. To lay your burdens at Jesus' feet. And to remember these words from the Lord. He says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We have one more song for you guys, but I also just wanted to say again, Merry Christmas. We're so grateful you worshiped with us this evening. We want to invite you back next week. We're launching a new sermon series on the parables next week, so you're always welcome to to worship with us. If you're new with us today, we have a special gift for you in the lobby. Bring a Connect card to the lobby. We have a gift for you. We'd love to give that to you and meet you in person. And also, if you need prayer today, we're always available after service to pray with you, and so please don't hesitate to come and pray with us. You can extinguish your candles now. Don't forget to drop those in the bucket on your way out. We got one more song to close out our service. God bless. Merry Christmas. Love you guys.